And if you have your Bibles with you tonight and you want to turn there, I'll be taking some scripture out of the uh, book of the Exodus in uh, chapter 13. And uh, we'll probably visit a few other places in the Bible, but primarily we'll be here in Exodus chapter 13 and, uh, and we'll start uh, reading around verse 17. And here in Exodus 17, you know, I mean, it's hopefully it's not wasted on anybody that the title of the book kind of gives away what happens in it. Exodus. And Exodus means it's an exit or a, a leaving. And we know that this book starts out with the fact that uh, Genesis ended with that the children of Israel had gone down into Egypt and that uh, they were to sojourn there, just exactly as God had told Abraham, by the way, that uh, when God was telling Abraham before Isaac was ever born, God told him, He said, I'm going to make a great nation out of your people. They'll sojourn in a land that's not their own. He even told them how long they would be there. He said, after 400 years, I'll bring them out. And how that Genesis ended with a man by the name of Joseph who had been uh, put into captivity. He went down into Egypt uh, as a slave and he come out... Uh, as a prime minister, as a leader in the nation. And, and when he came down to the end of his life, he told the children of Israel, he said, God will surely visit you in this land. And he, said, and he didn't say if he visits you. He said, surely God will visit you. And when he does, he said, you carry my bones up from hence. Don't leave me down in Egypt. Uh, and then here in Exodus, what we're getting ready to read about uh, is that after Moses had come on the scene and began to speak for God uh, and began to intercede for the people, that finally Pharaoh turned them loose after all of the plagues uh, and the curses and everything. Uh, and they begin on their journey. Uh, and we'll read about it here in just a second uh, uh, that they take their journey and then Pharaoh uh, uh, he decides to go back on the deal that was made uh, uh, and the children of Israel uh, uh, the thing is is they're following God uh, uh, and if you could get anything out of this message tonight uh, it would be uh, get on the path uh, and if you're already on the path uh, stay on the path uh, uh, and keep your eyes on the Lord uh, uh, that doesn't mean that everything will be okay all the time uh, it doesn't mean uh, that it's going to be an easy path. Uh, but what it does mean is that the end uh, is the best possible result. How easy it is for us to think uh, uh, that because uh, that it's a broad and wide way uh, with a real wide gate, uh, uh, Jesus said, He said, uh, uh, if you're going to go, go on the straight narrow path uh, uh, rather than the broad wide path uh, uh, with the wide gate uh, because the end of that one is destruction. And I kind of I tend to think of that as kind of the difference between heaven and hell. Hell is an open community. Heaven is a gated community. Ain't nobody gets into a gated community that ain't supposed to be there. Uh, uh, that you've got to have uh, a right uh, to be in a gated community. Uh, and the only way that we get rights uh, to heaven is through and by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, and it's through following Him. And so you'll notice as we read here that the children of Israel, they've struck out on their journey. They've exited Egypt and they begin to go on their journey. And we'll start reading at verse 17 in Exodus chapter 13. It says, And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land 
of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. That God said, I'm not going to lead them through having to fight their whole way through. I'll lead them around that. And God will bless you sometimes with just being able to completely avoid trouble. But there are times when He says, look, just keep your eyes on me and I'll lead you through. But we need to exercise godly wisdom to know when it's which situation. Because every trial we would prefer to just be completely delivered from having never gone through it. I think often about Daniel. When it was now that it come time he was going to be thrown into a den of lions because he had prayed to God that he sought God. God got him in that trouble, you know, because Daniel said, I'll trust my God over top of any law or any decree any king makes. And it was now that the king himself was trying to figure out a way to get Daniel out of that den of lions. And the time come and Daniel went in and he wasn't trusting in the king. He was trusting in his most high God and when the time came the king stood where he couldn't see in and hollered at Daniel and said Daniel has your God whom you diligently serve been able to deliver you out of the hand of the lions and Daniel told him I'm alive I'm alive because God sent his angel shut the lion's mouth delivered me up I've done no wrong and God has held me up in it Now it would have been a lot easier for Daniel to just never went into the den of lions. But on the other side of a trial is always a testimony. Every time that you go through something, God has strengthened your faith. God has built you up. But at the time, we don't necessarily like it. And so now it says here that after God said that in verse 18, it says, But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. Verse 20, And they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. <laughs> now I want you to pay attention to the next two verses uh, uh, that it says in verse 21, And the Lord God and the Lord went before them uh, by a pillar uh, by day and a pillar of a cloud to lead them, lead them away, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. That what happened was they thought they were following Moses but rather they were following God. They kept their eyes on that pillar. It didn't matter the path. Now they might have paid attention to where they were putting their feet so they wouldn't turn an ankle but they didn't have a mouth. Uh, They didn't have anything other than following uh, uh, the hand of the Most High. uh, A pillar by day, uh, a fire by night, uh, and they were following Him. And of course, let's pretend you don't know what happens in the next chapter. That you would think, well... (laughs) I guess everything's going to turn out alright for them. They ain't going to have any trouble. It's going to be an easy path. 
And they're following God. God has laid it out plainly for them. And this is no different than when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus there in Mark chapter 10 in which that he uh, comes a running up and says, Good Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, and Jesus tells him, Well, you know, keep the law. Uh, and the young man says, Well, I've done that from my youth up. And Jesus said, One thing lackest thou. Uh, he said, Go sell all your possessions, uh, take up your cross, and follow me. Because following the Lord isn't always easy, but the end thereof is always better. And the young man, it said he went away sorrowful because that he had great possessions. Jesus marveled at this. And there's not a lot of times that it's recorded that Jesus marveled, but this is one of them in which that Jesus said, how hard it is for those that trust in the riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He was chasing that almighty dollar rather than keeping his eyes on the Lord. And I can tell you, if Satan can't stop you, what he'll do is distract you. He'll get you worried about filling your belly. He'll get you worried about whether or not you look good before men. He'll get you worried about any manner of other things rather than following the Lord. Because what happens in the next chapter is that Pharaoh takes out after them. Pharaoh comes after the children of Israel and follows them right up to the border of the Red Sea. Now, uh, we'll start reading at verse 1 in chapter 14. I want you to notice how things go for him. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pi-Haberoth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal-Zephon. Before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. And I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. And they did so. They obeyed God. God spoke to Moses and God, God told Moses, He said, they're going to know what a great God I am too. Now the problem for the Egyptians was is that they were looking for evidence and God was getting ready to show it. But I can tell you, pray for your loved ones that they don't require evidence to believe in God because number one, Jesus said, a wicked and an adulterous generation, they seek after a sign. And I can tell you that when the evidence of God shows up, Mercy is done. Mercy's not available anymore. And so God said, I'm going to have Pharaoh come after you. Because you think about it, they might have been looking over their shoulder the rest of the time that they were taking their journey. And God's essentially saying, I am going to deal with Pharaoh and the Egyptians once and for all. And if you skip on ahead though, uh, you find now that they've encamped there. And then it says in verse 10, if you want to skip on down there, And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. The children of Israel cried out uh, unto the Lord uh, that they had been following God the whole time. God's the one that got them into this mess. You ever suffered for doing the right thing? You ever been accused 
or mistreated because you were doing what was right. And I can tell you, that's a bitter pill to swallow. But I'm more along the lines of what King David said when he was run out of his own kingdom by his son and a man come out and began to throw rocks at him and curse him and call him a usurper of Saul's throne. And Joab, he said, hey David, how about I go up and kill that guy so that he'll shut up? And David said, leave him alone. He said, because if God told him to do it, we deserve it. And he said, and if God didn't tell him to do it, then maybe God will look on us that we bear it patiently and God will have mercy on us. That David had been run out of his own kingdom, leaving in humiliation. And in that moment, he said, God, what I need more than anything is mercy. And you'll notice David was merciful to that man. Just like Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. But there are times when that we follow the Lord and He gets us in trouble. And if you don't believe me, just ask the apostles. Every one of them, save John, was killed for the faith. Every one of them were martyred. I find it funny that this modern day prosperity gospel would spit in their face. Oh, you're suffering because you're out of the will of God. Well, I can tell you right here in this book that there's lots of men and women that followed the will of God and suffered because of it. If you don't believe me, read Hebrews chapter 11 in which that it talks about the heroes of the faith. And you read that first part and you'd say, man, that sounds great, sign me up. Where it talks about receiving their dead children back alive again. It talks about Moses there, says, uh, by faith, uh, Moses rejected Pharaoh, refused to be called a son of Pharaoh. Uh, by faith, Abraham uh, went out on a journey uh, uh, seeking after a kingdom whose builder and maker was God. Uh, and they did all these things. And then the writer of Hebrews shifts gears and he said, but now many were sawn asunder and killed. Yeah. Suffered greatly. He said, of whom this world was not worthy. They suffered for the Lord's name's sake. And I don't know about you all, but I don't know that I've ever suffered to that point. To where that I would be like, this world isn't worthy of Brother Jeremiah. I mean, I've had some pain, some difficulty, some times when that I question my own sanity. But I can tell you this, I have never felt like that I was going to be killed for trusting in the Lord. But that's where these children of Israel... Don't ever read this chapter and judge them. Don't ever read where that somebody has a crisis of faith or if you hear about somebody having a crisis of faith or that they've stumbled as a Christian and you fold your arms and look at them and say, well, they ain't much when it comes to the Lord because you're kicking them while they're down. Rather, what we should be saying is, God, send me if they need help. God, lift them up. God, what can I do? How can I help them because I've been there. That I tell you the world loves to see somebody stumble and fall for some strange reason. But I can tell you your brother and sister in Christ stumbling and falling doesn't elevate your position. It's not like a new higher position suddenly becomes open. But rather it is that they're dealing with the circumstances best they can with the best of their ability. And these children of Israel, yeah, 
They were whiners and they were complainers because notice what they say in the next verse when Pharaoh's breathing down their neck, they're looking to their families and it says in verse 11, And they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians, for it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And they respond similarly throughout the remainder. Every downturn, they grouse and they grump and they complain. And when you read that, remember, you're not too much different than them. If you're not careful, rather than say, God help me to believe more strongly than they did. They were a generation who grew up corrupted by the Egyptian gods. They were physically in bondage and at this point they were still in bondage in their own minds. They hadn't grown up learning how to trust the Lord because we know they come to the border of Canaan. They go in. They're the same ones that say we can't take it. They were a rebellious generation. But God brought them out. But you know who it was that went in and possessed their land? It was their children. Their children, the ones who were looking up at mommy and daddy as they were holding their hand, walking through the Red Sea on dry ground. But their parents, they were saying, I've got my kids here. Everything I have. You imagine being in the situation before you get too judgmental about them. Look and say, how would I be looking at my own little children looking up at me and knowing that the sea lays before, Pharaoh lays behind, and it seems like destruction is all about. But notice how Moses responds. He doesn't begin to argue or to dispute with them. And sometimes when we doubt, when we worry... And remember, they got here to this point obeying God. God got them in this mess. And let me give you a little secret. When God gets you in a mess, God will get you out of a mess too. And it says in verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he will show to you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Now to put that in more modern terms, as Moses says, settle down. Don't be afraid. And you just watch what God's going to do because God is going to take the Egyptians off the board. They're never going to be a problem for you ever again. The Egyptians were their enemies. How often it was that they would say, maybe we should go back to Egypt. Later on, this same group of people, they, they contemplate, debate, and say, let's kill Moses and Aaron and go back to Egypt. But you know, I never read anywhere about their children ever saying that. The Joshua generation, as they're called, they never wanted to go back to Egypt. But Moses was telling them, first of all, because I imagine there were some of them that were thinking, well, let's, let's swim for it. 
Because we got the Egyptians behind. They get up here, they're going to kill every one of us. Let's just swim for the Red Sea, see if we can make it. Swim through it. Moses told him, don't you do that. God's got something planned. And it says in verse 14, The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. You know what Moses is just telling him? He's saying, you don't have to fight. They might have been some of them turning around throwing up their dukes. Uh, All right, Egyptians, come on. Uh, You might get me, but I'm going to make you pay dearly. Uh, And Moses is saying, forget all of that. God's going to fight for you. You don't have to fight. Uh, Have you ever done that? You're ready to fight the devil with a knife fight. Uh, And and the Bible says, uh, don't even engage him. Tell him to get behind you in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, And we're throwing our dukes up saying, but now he he started it. Uh, I'm going to do my best to finish it. It's a fight you can't win. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you'll come face to face with the devil when you're following the Lord because he is in opposition to the will of God. And these children of Israel, they followed the cloud by day, the fire by night. They were camped here because God told them, you camp here. He told them, Pharaoh's going to come after you and I'm going to deal with him. And they believed God right up to that point. But now I can tell you, it's awful hard to have faith and to hold on to it when the very ground underneath your feet shaking. So let's cut them a break when we read these things and say, okay, yeah, they, they, didn't, they didn't necessarily do everything right. Let's learn from their mistakes rather than sit here in the seat of the scornful and the judgmental and say, would I be willing to trust in the same situation? I would like to think I would, but who knows? And you'll notice now that it says in verse 15, And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ, thou unto me, speaking to the children of Israel that they go forward, but lift thou up thy rod and stretch out thine hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And behold, I will harden the heart of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. And I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his host, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have got me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel, and it was a cloud and a darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all night. That God put a barrier between them, and it was a cloud. That God protected them and obscured them. We don't have time to read through it all, but I'll tell you this, when the time comes, it says that Moses stretched forth the mighty rod of God, after that he had told him, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And said that when he did that, that the water began to stand up on either side. And then he told them, you go on through. And they went through on dry ground. The most unlikely of things. It was quite the miracle. Their feet didn't even get muddy. God didn't just roll the water back. 
Now I've been around, having been an excavation contractor, I've been around after a pond's been drained, and I can tell you, you might drain most of the water out of it, they still a big thick layer of mud. This says there wasn't even that. That it was completely dry, that they didn't have trouble walking through it, their feet didn't stick in the mud, nobody lost a sandal uh, that they began to walk through. Uh, and I imagine now uh, uh, that when they looked to the left, they seen a wall of water. When they looked to the right, they seen a wall of water. When they looked behind them, they seen the Egyptians. Uh, but when they looked before them, they saw uh, the pillar of the Most High God uh, leading them through there. Uh, and they learned to trust. Uh, and those little children took notice of that and said our parents were freaking out they didn't know what to do and when they became the next generation they looked around and said I ain't forgot what God did for me don't you forget what God's done for you. Sometimes it's a good idea to sit down and to count one's blessings to know that he is God and beside him there is no other let me tell you something there was but one path for them through the Red Sea. They wasn't a bunch of other branches. It didn't turn into a labyrinth or a maze of some kind. It was a straight path. It was narrow, but they walked it. And when somebody who wasn't in God's will tried to cross it, you know what happened? It didn't last. It says that the Egyptians now, they sailed out. Right out in that. Now I imagine they were marveling about it. God said, but I'm going to get my honor from amongst them. And they sailed out there. And about the time that it was the worst possible position for them to be, the water fell in on them and destroyed them. And I can't help but think about that woman, Rahab the harlot, all the way over in the book of Joshua. You ever remember how that it said that she took those Israelite spies in? She hid them? When the, when the men of Jericho come looking for him. And then she told him, here's why I hid you. She said, because I heard about what your God did to the Egyptians on the other side of the Red Sea. And she said, I know. She heard. She believed. And she acted. And you see, a believer's a doer. A believer does something. Now, I've met lots of people who say they're a believer. But a believer's a doer. She hid them. She could have been killed for that. She said, I heard about what your God did. And I know that He's given this city into your hand. And then she said, all that I ask is for mercy. That's all that I can ask for. And she got it because that she heard and she believed. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. She heard about it. She believed it. She acted and saved these men's lives. And it was to the saving of her entire family. And oh, by the way, she was in the royal line for King David. She was King David's, and don't quote me on this, but somewhere around his great-great-grandmother, Rahab the harlot. She had a granddaughter-in-law on down the way named Ruth. book of the Bible is named after her. She's in that royal lineage. And she was grafted in there just like Ruth was because she heard and she believed. Following God may lead you into a tight spot. That path, it's narrow and it's not easy. Amen. And I think about what the Apostle Paul wrote in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 9. 
where it is that he says, hey, don't you know that everybody that runs in a race, that they won't run like they want to win. And then he said, look, I'm not running this race just to be running. He said, I run like a person that wants to win. You find out the old path and you walk therein and when it's a straight and narrow path, you don't accidentally walk it. It's purposeful and you stay on the path. And I would tell the world for a lost person, find the path. And for a Christian, stay on the path. Keep your eyes on the Lord. And when you get in trouble, keep keeping your eyes on the Lord. How easy it is though to begin to look on either side rather than casting your eyes upon the Lord. How easy it is to get scared. Everybody here is subject to get scared, startled, worried at some time or another. You know, the disciples, they were with Jesus at one point. Jesus had just got done preaching a big long sermon. And then he told them, let's get in the boat and go over the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And they said, okay. And they take out. It was Jesus' idea to get in that boat and to go across the Sea of Galilee. And then he fell asleep in the back of the boat. And while they were going, a windstorm kicked up. And I'd been ignorant about this for many years. Because I remember thinking several times, I'm like, Didn't he, these guys were fishermen. Didn't they have enough sense to see the clouds are rolling? I thought of a storm about like when I was a kid watching Gilligan's Island in the intro, you know, where that it shows the, the uh, captain and the first mate, you know, Skipper and Gilligan, uh, and the, the, the boat was tossed to and fro, and the rain blowing in sideways and everything. But that's not actually what happens on the Sea of Galilee, and it still happens. It's a local ecological event that there'll just be a big windstorm rip through there, and it'll be like uh, 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 ocean waves. And so that's what happened. You can't predict it. All you can do is hope you make it. And so they were out there and that happened. In a boat full of fishermen. There was one guy in that boat. It wasn't a fisherman by trade. And that was Jesus. And the boat began to be tossed. And they began to. They had an idea. Here's what we'll do. And they began to keep the water out of the boat by bailing water out. They were trying to steer it. They were men in that boat that knew how to handle a boat. They were men in that boat that knew uh, how, how treacherous the Sea of Galilee could be. They didn't bother Jesus. They trusted in the strength of their arms, in their wisdom. And at a certain point, though, it became very obvious to them that that boat was going to go to the bottom. Now I ask you, whose idea was it to be out there to begin with? Jesus got them in the mess to begin with. And so at a certain point now, these fishermen, guys who knew how to handle a boat, go to the back of the boat and they wake Jesus up. And, and you know, the way it's written, I think you, you lose something there. It's almost as though they casually, hey, um, Jesus, hate to wake you up, but the boat's going to sink and we need your help. I believe that it was panic. High-pitched voices screaming and crying. We're going to drown. And they go and they say, Master, don't you care that we're going to perish? We're going to die. And Jesus asked them, where's your faith? What are you trusting in? 
and their arms that were hanging like limp noodles because they'd bailed water till they couldn't bail anymore. And their knowledge failed them. Their strength failed them. Every possible thing that they could count on failed. And then they turned to the Lord. And He stands up. And He doesn't start barking orders, doesn't grab an oar or a bucket and start bailing water. He stands up and He rebukes the wind and them waves and tells them, Peace, be still. I tend to think of that kind of like uh, I had a student there a while back and, and him and his mom were in my classroom for a parent-teacher conference. And this kid, I'd never seen the kid act like the way they were acting. He didn't act like that in my classroom. I kept waiting for the parent to straighten him out. They never did. So I, called, I, I said, hang on a second, because they were in the middle of talking to me. I said, hang on a second. I said, hey, Sit down. You know better than to act like that in my classroom. The kid went straight and sit down. And the mom marveled. Said, he just listened to you and just sit down. And I said, yeah, he knows better. He knows better than to do that. Those wind and those waves, they knew better than to not obey the master of the sea. That when Jesus said, peace, be still, he told him, hush, sit down. You're done. No more. This boat ain't going to sink because you ain't going to sink it because I ain't going to let it. And then it says the disciples marveled. Who is this man that even the wind and the waves obey? And then you go all the way back into this same chapter and you see that God, the wind and the waves, they obey the Master because He spoke it into existence. Yes, He might get you in some tight spots. That narrow path will lead through some tight spots, won't it? It might lead through a few clefts and rocks. It might lead through some narrow ledges. And it is confining. And you don't accidentally walk it. And you may end up in some difficult spots. But God will bring you through. And this is not just Brother Jeremiah's guarantee. This is what saith the Word of God. David looked around in his lifetime and he said, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. The Apostle Paul, he looked around and he said, let me tell you something. And if nobody else was qualified to say this, the Apostle Paul was. When he there in Romans chapter 8, he looks around and says, I reckon now that our current sufferings aren't worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. And he said, because I know that neither life nor death, nor depth, nor height, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things past can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And you want to know what all happened to Paul? Well, let's see. Uh, he was, they tried to stone him to death. He was struck blind at one point. The Lord knocked him off of his high horse, quite literally. He was shipwrecked, snake bit, had to fight animals in a coliseum. He was a guy, when you picture Paul, don't picture a guy that can stand up straight or walk with a normal gait. That the only reason that he wasn't dead wasn't for their lack of trying. He'd been through a lot. And you know what he said? He said, 
it still ain't separated me from God. And you know who got him in all that trouble? You remember how Paul's ministry started out when he was still Saul? And Ananias came and prayed for him. And Ananias said, Hey, uh, brother Saul, be no longer faithless, but believing. And prayed for him and the scales fell off. And he said, God has sent me to tell you what great things you'll suffer for His name's sake. Now, I don't know about you all, but I'd say, whoa, wait a minute. Let's back up to that last part. Suffer? Yeah. And Paul said, that's fine. That's fine. Because when he sings his swan song in 2 Timothy, and I don't know about you all, but I can't hardly read that without getting teary-eyed. When he looked around, he said, I'm ready to be offered. Yeah. I've fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished the course. And he knew, man, I've suffered. But it's all been worth it. <coughs> It's all been worth it that I did it because I was following my Lord. God has a path laid out for each of you. And your job is to take up your cross and follow it. For the lost, find the path. For those that are on it, stay on the path. Bear your cross and know that yes, it gets difficult, but the end is way better than anything else. Because people live in this world like a man who jumped off of a building and the whole way down he thought he was flying. Whole way down he thought everything's going to be alright. But the end thereof was destruction. And it's real easy to look around at things in this world and say, man, it seems like the lost people are having an easier time than the saved people. That's alright. This life is but a vapor. And the current sufferings, they will end and after that, every tear that you've cried, God's kept account. You ain't, but He has. God sees your tears. He hears your cry. He answers your prayers. And He treasures you up. So, like Paul said, when, I, when my life comes to an end, that I know that there's a crown waiting for me and a white robe. Because you imagine the mess that we'll look when we get there. I imagine that spiritually we'll be skinned up, beat up, bloodied, and bent. Dirty clothes. Not look real presentable. About like a little kid who's been through something. And then the Lord will look and say, get them filthy rags off of my child. Heal up their wounds and all of their hurts. Get rid of those tear ducts because they don't need them anymore. Never another tear. Put that white robe on them and bring the crown and put it on them because Jesus says uh, that they're one of His uh, and nothing in this world uh, separated them uh, uh, from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That sometimes we need to remember where we're headed and it's heaven. Sure. We need to remember on the daily uh, uh, that we're not just running a race just to be running. That we need to remember why we fight the good fight. Why that we're trying to finish the course is because there's something real good waiting on the other side that John did his best when he wrote in the Revelation. John did his best to describe it. I love how after he's done trying to describe it, I think, you know, I imagine if it were me and I were trying to write it down, that I'd probably just have to put my pen down and say, that's the best I can do, but let me tell you, it's even better than that. I can't, I, there are no words, yeah. but it's going to be better yeah. 
than even what you can imagine. And that's what's waiting on us. But most importantly, and I've said this a lot, I hope Jesus has some awful big feet because I know there's going to be a lot of people at Him when we make it. When we bow down at His feet and we're worshiping Him because of what that He's done for us. Because worthy is the Lamb. You know, there in Revelation, John said, looked around and nobody could open the seals. Nobody could bring about what God had laid out. And then said, but the Lamb showed up. And worthy was the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb of your praise. Worthy was the Lamb to die for your sins. Worthy is the Lamb to follow and maybe suffer some in this life for. Worthy is the Lamb. Blessed is the path. Find it and walk therein. No, it's not easy. No, it might not be real enjoyable. But I can tell you this, heaven will be worth it. Heaven will be worth it all. That these children of Israel... The very zenith of God's power here in the Old Testament is this event where that God parts the Red Sea and they walk through on dry ground. And God went before them. God took care of them, following him. They followed Him and He never let them wrong. Now they might have thought it. They might have thought, wait a minute, this is it. They might have grumbled and complained along the way. And I can tell you this, so do I. I'll grumble. I'll complain. I'm like a hateful little toddler sometimes. If I'm hungry, I get hateful. If I'm tired, I get hateful. I try not to be. But I can tell you this. God loves me just like I'm a little toddler. He loves us. This was a nation of toddlers. Grumpy, little hate-filled people. And God loved them anyway. And He loves you. And you follow Him. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. He won't quit on you. I hope this message has blessed you. I hope the Lord's dealt with you on this. If you need the altar, you can consider it open. If you need to pray, now is an acceptable time. Won't you come? And I hope that every day that you walk the path, that you remember it's the better end.